Welcome to the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church, we seek to love God, love others, and make a difference. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Today we're kicking off our Christmas message series. It's called My Grown-Up Christmas Wish. And you see, kids are upfront with their lists. Your kids will let you know what they want. My kids, as soon as they're, you know, our four-year-old and our seven-year-old specifically, whenever there's a commercial that comes on, of, uh, and on all the commercials on Disney and Nickelodeon are all designed to make your children want things. And my four-year-old Michael, he, he wants all the things. And so he'll say, well, can I, can I have that? And, and he'll say, uh, and, and then I'll say, well, what about maybe for, if, it's, if his birthday's the next thing, I'll say, well, would you like to ask that for that for your birthday? Or, and as soon as his birthday passes, like in February, he, be, he begins to ask for things for the following Christmas. And so kids are not bad. And now listen, if you've, I, I Googled what are the 10 most popular gifts for children this year, in case you're needing ideas, you can get a... Fisher-Price, DJ, Bouncing Beats, interactive musical learning toy. That, that is one of those gifts that as a dad, you know, after about a minute of that, you're hiding that gift from your child. <laughs> then we got the Barbie Dreamhouse, the Pop and Patrol, Chase 2 and 1, the Melissa and Doug Examine and Treat Pet Vet Playset, Monster Jam Garage Playset. We've got the VTech Level Up Gaming Chair, and uh, looks like some sort of torture device, sort of, and uh, we've got a little, uh, you guys see it. Those are the things children are, uh, that, those are the 10 hottest gifts for kids this year. But adults, it can be a little bit tougher. Uh, and, and the next few weeks, we're gonna be talking about what are those things, those things that aren't even really things, that, that, uh, that we find ourselves longing for at Christmas, my grown-up Christmas wish. And here's our wish for today. Today's wish is this. I wish to experience the wonder of Christmas like a child. Christmas is magical for kids. I just looked at my little photo stream of a Christmas of three years ago, December 2019. And uh, the difference between teenage girls and little boys is those teenage girls are making sure that they got their A-game smile going. And two of the boys' eyes are closed, one sticking his tongue out. And that was the most, uh, that, that moment was the most according to plan moment of that entire Christmas. And so, uh, but do you remember that time, that first time? And maybe this didn't happen to you, but it happened to me. Maybe you were nine, maybe you were 12, maybe you were 14. But you thought to yourself, I still really love Christmas, and it's still really, really great, but it felt more amazing and wondrous a few years ago. Do you guys remember a moment like that? You're, well, that's just me. If, if it only happened to me, then this whole message is really moot, and we can just close in prayer. <laughs> Do you guys ever remember that, like in your late childhood or your teens, thinking, Christmas is still wonderful, but not as wonderful as it felt a few years ago. Anybody, thank you for now we have a few honest people that, no, I just have the spirit of Christmas all year long. And uh, it's one of those first moments that you begin to realize your childhood is slipping away. And, and but my question for us today is, what, what if Christmas could feel as full of wonder 
for us as adults as it does for our kids or for our grandkids or for when we were kids. See, I think when we understand Christmas rightly, I think it can seem equally wonderful and wondrous. And I would even go as far as that. I think if we really, really let it sink in, maybe it can seem more wonderful for us as adults than it did when we were kids. If you have your Bibles, go over to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at that in a minute. See, the thing is, for Chris, as Christmas as a child, at Christmas as a child, the world seems a little more beautiful. See, the world is just more beautiful at, at Christmas, the, the Christmas lights. Now, because we're just got some questions to kind of get how into the Christmas. Who, who all's got Christmas lights on their house? Raise your hand. Raise your, who all would say, I'm proud of the lights we have in our house? I feel like we brought our A game this year. Now, those of you that are proud, how many of you did it yourself and how many just wrote a check? All right, that's, uh, and so, uh, but the lights, which can make the fact that it's uh, dark at 4.30 in the afternoon, not feel depressing, but feel magical. And, and the Christmas tree, now raise your hand if you've already got your tree up, raise your hand. All right, Dan, hands down. Raise your hand if it's not up yet. You got like six days to get it up, otherwise there's something wrong with your heart. And so, uh, got six days. We're gonna check again next Sunday. And so, but the decorations, the trees, the lights, it just feels beautiful. And it feels beautiful for adults. We all like these things, but I think it's a little more beautiful and amazing and, 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 and wondrous as a child. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, we went, took our kids on the little Polar Express train ride. I got a little pic here for our little guy, Michael. That's, that's Michael looking at the lights at the North Pole, at the Polar Express. If you've got kids or grandkids, you've never done the Polar Express, and, and you're looking for an expensive evening, um, <laughs> then, uh, then you should for sure do that. But, but it's sold out for this year. You've got to buy for next year. And so, uh, but man, he's just looking like he's, it's like the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. He, he, and there's something as a, a child, and, but here's what I really believe when we really grasp the reality of what Christmas means, it can seem even more beautiful to us now than it ever could have when we were kids. Now, when we look at Christmas in the Bible, when you look at Matthew, it's, there are three accounts of, of the incarnation, three accounts of what happened at Christmas in the Bible. So, so in, in Matthew and Luke, it, it, we're looking at Christmas through the lens uh, of what happened historically the who and the when and the where. But when we look at the incarnation or what ultimately happened at Christmas in the, in the Gospel of John, John's looking at it theologically. Less of the who and the when and the where, and, and, but he still brings the who, but, it, but it's more of the what and the why. And so if John chapter one and verse one, Here's what John, Jesus, this is written by John. Jesus is uh, one of his three closest friends. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We're gonna unpack that in a minute. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. These few verses here, 
uh, are verses that if you are just reading casually can seem a little bit confusing, uh, but as we dig into what John is saying here, it's, it's, it's a, a few of the most power-packed verses in all of the Bible, and that, and that John is here uh, giving us the foundation of, of, our, of our understanding that, that Jesus is God, but then at the same time, he's with God. He's giving us this foundation of our understanding of, of the Trinity here. And, and he says, so in the beginning was the Word. Was it with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. So he's Jesus involved in creation. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. One of John's themes in the book of John is this theme of life. This word zoe in the Greek, which speaks more of, of spiritual life as opposed to bios, our, our physical life. John uses this word no less than 36 times in his gospel. And so he says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. I think one of the best things we do at Christmas is when we put up Christmas lights, and it is this reminder that at Christmas, the light of the world came, and in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I think we have moments where if you watch the news too much, the world can just feel so dark and it can feel like the darkness is winning. But, but John tells us that, that the light of Jesus will not ultimately be overcome by darkness. So you see, Christmas makes life beautiful for a few reasons. One, in a world of loneliness, God is personal. So when you're, when, you're, when you're just casually reading John 1, it says, in, in the beginning, it's, intentionally, it's intended to take you back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's intended to take you back there. So it says, in the beginning was the word, and this word, word, it, it would, would have uh, meant very meaningful things to, to both Jews and Greeks. So the, the, Jew, the Jewish people, um, often referred to God as, as the, the word, or they would refer to the word of the Lord. There was this incredible reverence in saying God's name, and so sometimes that they would look for ways to, to not say it. Sometimes they would just say the name. Um, and, but, but oftentimes, uh, this, uh, this Messianic Jewish scholar, David Brown, explains it this way. He says, since God was often perceived as somehow untouchable, it was necessary to provide some kind of link between the Lord and his earth, earthly creation. One of the important links was, quote, the word. So that's what it's called the, the memra in Aramaic. And from this Hebrew and Aramaic root, to say. And we find this memra concept hundreds of times in these errors. See, in the time of Jesus, the, the, the people spoke Hebrew, but the common language was Aramaic. And day-to-day -day language, Jesus would have regularly spoken Aramaic. And so in these, these Aramaic uh, translations and paraphrases that were referred to as targums, uh, the uh, scriptures that were, these were the scriptures that were, would have been read in the synagogues before the time of Jesus, during the time of Jesus, and after the time of Jesus, it was very common, instead of saying God, to say the word of God or, or the word. And so in the targum of Genesis 28, 
It says that Jacob vows that the, quote, word of the Lord will be his God. So, so when, when John starts off, in the beginning was the word, the, the, the logos, the word. The, the Jewish hearer would have said, oh, that's, that's referring to, to God in Genesis 9, 12. And instead of a covenant between God and Noah, a covenant is made between God's word and Noah. In Exodus 21, we even have the word speaking words of his own. We see that the word is a person. And Deuteronomy 4, 7 describes the word sitting on his throne and receiving the prayers of his people. And so these, these Aramaic um, phrases to des- used to describe the name of God that were commonly used among the Jews at this time. And so for the Jewish hearer, when it says, in the beginning was the word, they, they would have would, would have hearkened back to Genesis 1. And in the beginning, God it w- was there and he was creating. And so in this moment, the, this word idea, they would have known that was God. But the Greek uh, readers, the non-Jewish Greek readers, when they talk, they would have read this phrase "logos" word, and, and they would have gone to Greek philosophy. And so the, the Greek philosophy was this: they, while they did not believe in a personal, knowable God in the same way that that we would think of, or the Jewish people would think of. They thought, when they, this word logos spoke of the logical, rational principle that they believed governed the world. So they were able to look at creation and be smart enough to realize something is behind all of this. This, there is this logical reasoning principle that is governing the world. It's that was holding all everything. They believe there was this invisible, intelligent, integrating force behind the universe holding it together. And so what John is saying is he's saying there is such a power in the world. It would be similar to this. It'd be similar if you were talking to an agnostic and you said, you know, there is, there is a higher. Who says, you know what, I think there may be a higher power. Someone that doesn't believe and maybe they're not a Christian or they're not, they're, they don't, they're not a, a part of any faith, but they'd say, you know what, I do believe in a higher power. This is the same kind of language that John is, here, is saying here, but what he's saying is, he's saying in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and then he's talking about now, he's going to tell us later that the Word becomes flesh, he comes to us, and so what John is claiming here to both the Jews and the Greeks in a way that they would have connected to, but connected to differently, is that the God of creation The ultimate mind of the universe had taken on human form. He had become incarnate. He was personal and knowable so that he became a person so that we might know him. The God of creation became a part of creation. The creating one has become a created one. And so this this whole idea... That, that, that this idea of a personal God to the Greeks that, 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 would, that would come and be made flesh would have blown their mind the idea that God was knowable. They had the idea that there is some higher power, some force that's governing the universe, but the idea that he actually wants to know me, the idea that he's personal, it makes life beautiful to think that in a world so lonely that God actually is personal. He says the word was God and the word was with God. And that, that phrase for us means a little bit, it means a little bit less than it would have meant, meant to them. Within that we can say, hey, we are in this room, we are with one another. 
Uh, and we are, and, and that's, but what John's saying is more than that. This Greek express, expression, prostone theon, it literally, it gives the picture of two personal beings looking face to face with one another. It's not this idea of a generic being with, but it's this two people looking at one another in the eyes in this personal way. The word was with God, this, this, personal, this personal God. And, and, and in this world, so Christmas can be beautiful for us because in a world of loneliness, God is personal and knowable. And a world of death and darkness, Jesus brings light and life. This key word that John uses, life, and, and he says that this word became, that this word is light and life of all people. Another one of the phrases John likes to use is, is this phrase of all people. Have you ever had a day where you just didn't feel as alive as you wish you did? Or have a moment where you're like, man, I feel like my life force feels drained. In those moments, remember that, that, that Jesus is the one who brings light in our life. He's the one who brings life to us in those minutes. Here's the next thing. We can have the wonder of Christmas just like a child does. Because at Christmas as a child, you receive things that you could never get for yourself. The amazing thing about being a kid at Christmas is my little kids are asking for stuff that they could never get for themselves. They have no dollars. They have insufficient resources. Everything they're going to get on Christmas is beyond their capacity. That's really the amazing, when you're a kid on Christmas morning, you, you, are, 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 you get that remote control car. It's not like you had the ability the day before to drive yourself to Target and buy that remote control car. The only way you were going to get it is if someone else decided to give it to you. But as adults, almost everything we're going to get, maybe everything we're gonna get, if we, we really wanted it bad enough, we could get it for ourselves. I mean, you could, some of you, no doubt this year in church, have been in this service, have thought of something that you really need or want, ordered it on Amazon while in church. <laughs> like some of you right now are like, oh yeah, I really want that thing, I bet I can order it and before this point's even over. And it just charges your card and it's at your house in two days. The number of things that you want that you can't buy yourself, that anybody else is thinking about buying for you. But we all have those fantasy things, like, gosh, beach house in Malibu. It's on my Christmas list, you know? And I can't buy it for myself, and nobody wants to buy it for me. Brand new Range Rover. Can't really afford it. I can't buy it for myself. Nobody wants to buy one for me. That's the nature of being a grown-up. And so, so Christmas for us, Christmas morning when we open these presents, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm grateful that people love me and want to give me gifts, and I'm opening up 
here is a shirt that I could have purchased. As I think about it, if it's from my wife or my three youngest children, I think, I, I think my money was a part of this. I believe I bought this shirt for myself. Again, I'm grateful that for the thought that went into them using my money to buy me things. But as a child on Christmas morning, everything you're getting, it fully goes beyond your capacity to give yourself. And I think when we really understand what Christmas is really about, we recognize it's the greatest gift. It's the gift that we could never dream of giving ourselves. John 1 verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him. I love that John's use of this word receive. It's the same language that we use when we receive a gift. If you are given a gift and you receive a gift, this word can be translated to take hold of, to obtain, or to grasp. He says his own did not receive him, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right. I love that word right. We live in a time where everyone wants to stand up for their rights. He says he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. See, the thing about adoption is it is uh, the choice, the effort, and the expense of the one doing the adopting. The one being adopted simply receives the benefit. There's nothing they can do to make it happen. And so this gift of to all who received him and believed in his name, this gift of becoming children of God. There's nothing you could ever have done to accomplish that apart from Christmas, apart from the word being made flesh, but apart from him coming to, so that we might receive him and then become children of God. There's nothing that you could ever do. There's no amount of money that you could save up and go to, to, to any store and pay any amount to purchase that. There's no amount of things you could do to earn that. It can only come by someone giving something to you that you could never get for yourself. It's really the, the wonder of Christmas. We could never do this for ourselves. It's the we can't make ourselves children of anyone, much less God. But that God would take the first move to initiate that we might become his children, it's the best news ever. Here's the third thing. At Christmas as a child, the impossible feels possible. So much of what makes Christmas special and magical as a child 
is the idea of things that seem impossible or too good to be true seem somehow possible. The idea of flying reindeer seems impossible. But for a child, the impossible seems possible. The idea of a fat man coming through your chimney, no matter how large the fire is at the bottom of said chimney, he never gets burnt. No matter that there's people that have no chimneys, he somehow manages to break and enter into their homes as well. All of the people of the world, children of the world, in a 24-hour period, the impossible seems possible for children at Christmas. And I'm here to tell you that what actually did happen at Christmas is more amazing than any of those things, that God became a man. He came to be with us. Verse 14, the word became flesh. You could read it, that higher power put skin on. That's the way that the Greeks would have read it. Those, uh, those Jews would have read that the God of the Old Testament put skin on. The word became flesh and made his dwelling. That word dwelling, it means it's the same word that it literally means he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, the impossible feels possible. The idea that, that, that God comes to us and becomes like us. See, you see, all of history has been filled with religions based on people working hard enough and doing enough good things to try to gain access or favor with God, trying to do enough good things to get close to God. But the wonder of Christmas is that God came close to us, the word became flesh and camped out among us, dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. See, the tabernacle, as these Jewish readers would have seen this, this language here, the tabernacle in the Old Testament and um, the children of Israel, that this, this idea was is in the, the center of the camp. It represented the, the place of the law, the, where, where God's presence abided, the source of, of, of God's voice, the site, the place where sacrifice for sins would happen, the focus of their worship, and this idea that, that Jesus has come, and now he's the real tabernacle. And all of those things that, that their forefathers had looked to in this tent with this ark and all of this, this, this sense of God's presence, this sense of forgiveness of sins that came with sacrifice. This, that all, he says, Jesus came, the word became flesh to be all of that for us. He came to us to become like us. See, God comes to us and becomes like us. We could not get up to his level, so he came down to ours. David Brooks writes in the New York Times, this rabbi, rabbi Elliot Kukla, once described a woman with a brain injury who would sometimes fall to the floor. People around her would rush to immediately get her back on her feet before she was quite ready. 
She told her rabbi, I think people rushed to help me because they are so uncomfortable with seeing an adult lying on the floor. But what I really need is for someone to get down on the ground with me. See, we all need someone to get down on the ground with us. And that is what God has done for us in the incarnation of Jesus, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He comes to us to give us a clear picture of who God is. So this whole idea that God would become a man, born as a baby, vulnerable, that, that he would come to us because we could never get, work our way up to him. And then in coming to us, he fully reveals the nature of who he is. Hebrews chapter one. Writer of Hebrews says, in the past, God spoke to her ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Says in the Old Testament, we, we, we see all these, all these people that talking about their encounters with God and, 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 and speaking for God and, and, and bringing these messages from God. And that was helpful. That began to help point the direction for us, for us to know God. But then, he, but then the writer goes on, he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, and I love this phrase, and the exact representation of his being. See, what seems impossible became possible at Christmas and this idea that God would become a man so that we might get a clear picture of who he is. Here's the, here's, here's the truth. We interpret all of Scripture and all of the things that we've ever learned about God, we interpret those through the person of Jesus. He's the clearest picture. The writer of Hebrews says, he's the exact representation. And, and, and so when we, when we read the Old Testament and we're like, well, what, 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 get a little confused. Well, what does this mean and what does this mean? Then we, then we interpret it through the person of Jesus. The word became flesh so that we could get the clearest possible picture of who God really is. His heart towards you was made clear in Jesus. His intentions towards you were made clear in Jesus. What it looks like for him to love you was made clear in Jesus. We get the clearest possible picture. So God is saying this to us. He's like, all that I've ever wanted you to know about me, all that I've ever wanted to reveal to you about myself, that's why I came in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm a big U2 fan. So if I get a chance to quote Bono, I do. <laughs> After returning home from a long tour, Bono, the lead singer for U2, returned to Dublin and attended a Christmas Eve service. At some point in that service, Bono grasped the truth at the heart of the Christmas story. In Jesus, God became a human being. With tears streaming down his face, Bono realized the idea that God, 
If there is a force of love and logic in the universe, he's using language kind of like John uses. It's where the word logic where we get our, comes from that word logos. He says the idea that God, if there's a force of love and logic in the universe, that it would seek to explain itself is amazing enough, that it would seek to explain itself by becoming a child born in poverty and straw, a child. He says, I just thought, wow, just the poetry. I saw the genius of picking a particular point in time and deciding to turn on this. He goes on to say, love needs to find a form. Intimacy needs to be whispered. Love has to become an action or something concrete. It would have to happen. There must be an incarnation. Love must be made flesh. See, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I, I, I think, look, think Bono is someone that, that, that has as much wonder at what Christmas means as any child ever had on Christmas morning. Because he understands this wonder that, that at Christmas what seems impossible became possible and that God would take on flesh born as a little baby and the whole end game was that he would suffer and die. It's, it's, it's this thing for, because he loves us so much. It's this thing that seems so almost too good to be true, but it's true. So as we approach Christmas, and you see the wonder in your children's eyes, your grandchildren's eyes, your friends' uh, children's eyes, this amp anticipation, the excitement. My kids ask every day, how many more days until Christmas? And I know that they don't have a calendar, so I just, I guess. I don't even, I, oh, I think it's 35. And, uh, and so uh, I'm not getting out my calendar to do math. People that won't remember. Um, Let it be a reminder to dwell on the reality that the greater, that, that greater wonder than this can be yours. As we look to Christ at Christmas, the beauty that God is personal and knowable, that be the beauty that in a world that feels full of death and darkness, that Jesus brings life and light this, this wondrous, and, and as your children update their Christmas list, knowing they will receive things that they could never buy themselves. Every time you go and buy a gift for your children and your grandchildren, reflect on this fact, I'm buying for them what they could never buy for that myself, and that's what God did for me at Christmas, that the word became flesh, that whoever would receive him might become children of God. I could never have done that for myself. Reflect on the amazing gift of Christmas, that Jesus came that we might become sons and daughters of God if we just receive the gift. Dwell on the fact that this is wondrous. And as your children set out milk and cookies for the red-suited man to fall down to your chimney and eat those cookies, let it be a reminder that Christmas really is about what seems impossible actually became possible. What, what, what seems too good to be true actually happened. God came in the flesh so that we could know exactly what he's like. Not just so that we could know what he's like, but so that we could know him. Let's pray together.
maybe just in the quietness of your heart. You might even just ask God, just restore your sense of awe at what Quint, about what Christmas is all about. So God, that's, that's our prayer. Lord, that we would find more wonder and amazement that you came as a baby, took on human flesh so that we could see what you're really like most clearly, so that we could know you, so that we could become your children. And Lord, I pray that the wonder of that would sink deep. And as we do all the things that surround Christmas that aren't what it's all about, but are the things that are all around it, God, but may we look for these moments to be reminded of what it's really all about. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this. And you can also find more information at lifechurchreno.com. Blessings to you.